Commission. Each week, we bring you exclusive interviews with industry experts covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first-time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, now, here's Larry. Welcome to Real Estate Radio, hosted by the real estate therapist, Larry Shackman, a top producing real estate broker, author, CEO, and founder of TrustedAgentUSA.com, the ultimate real estate matchmaker, connecting you with top performing agents for 2% commission. Each week, we bring you exclusive interviews with industry experts, covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first-time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's Make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, now, here's Larry. The Real Estate Radio, hosted by the real estate therapist, Larry Shackman, a top-producing real estate broker, author, CEO, and founder of TrustedAgentUSA.com, the ultimate real estate matchmaker, connecting you with top-performing agents for 2% commission. Each week, we bring you exclusive interviews with industry experts, covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first-time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, now, here's Larry. All right, you guys, we are live again on our Wednesday hump day version of the Real Estate Radio Show podcast. We're going to be joined in half a second here by Dylan Kramer, our co-host. And uh, again, you're watching the Real Estate Radio Show podcast live from our virtual studios. Remember, every Saturday, we're live on the air at 8.20 a.m. from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 8.20 a.m. WCPT right out of Chicago and Gladstone Park. So be sure to tune in on Saturdays. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about 203Ks, renovation loans. We're going to talk about how you can really, um, you can finance a real estate investment without using a dime of your own money in combination with that 203K loan. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And um, we'll talk about a lot of things. So uh, let's bring Dylan on and get to it. Dylan, how you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Larry. What's shaking, buddy? We are doing awesome. And uh, yeah, we got we got some things to talk about today. Absolutely, right? we do. Um, how's things going by you? You know, I'm up to my elbows and crazy. As uh, we, we've talked about, we've got this uh, company transition going on. Uh, for me, which has been uh, a, a blessing uh, for sure, right? I, I, I'm yeah. excited to have, um, you know, some of the advantages we talked about previously, right? Local underwriting, local opportunity um, from a business execution standpoint, Chicago-based company, and it's really um, exciting. But it's also uh, when you go through these transitions, no matter how good they are, and, and yeah. these folks are really, really good at it. Um, it's a game of 52 pickup, right? Like your normal day-to-day -day flow has been just thrown up in the air and now you're trying to refigure it out again on the fly. So that's been my last week, but it's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I'm excited to talk about this 203k loan product because I know that neighborhood loans specializes in that and they're very good at that. And you know what, when you're doing a 203k loan, it is so important to be working with a a broker that uh, is working with a company that does these types of loans because they're not typical. And you're working with a contractor who knows how to get these loans over the finish line. So we're going to talk about that. Um, hey, real quick, I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, 
I found something like really interesting about this Sitzer Burnett um, lawsuit, which is the class action lawsuit. We've talked about it before where brokers are being sued. The MLSs are being sued. The NAR is being sued. Right. Anybody that's ever walked into a house is being sued uh, as a result of their idea that somehow brokers are colluding to keep commissions high, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of, uh, a lot of brokerages, as you know, have settled, like recently Keller Williams settled for $70 million, right? And I get right. it. You know, we've talked about it, right? I mean, sometimes you cut your losses, you settle rather than, you know, rather than get dragged into a case that could literally go on for five years and you could still lose. So right. Sometimes and very often it's better just to cut your losses and settle and move on. I don't think so in this case, because I think they had a shot at winning because I think there's a lot of erroneous material in this class action lawsuit. Uh, having said that, what I find interesting, and we talked about this a little bit, is that all these companies that have settled, Caldwell Bankers, uh, you know, the Caldwell bankers of the world, the Remaxes of the world, the uh, any anywhere real estate of the world, uh, you know, and a lot of other big firms. Um, they've settled, but the one person and the one brokerage that hasn't settled, which I find kind of interesting, is Berkshire Hathaway. And yep. who is that owned by? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett is giving them the big finger and saying, nope, I'm not, I am a hundred percent not, uh, I'm not going to settle this. We will go the, go to the finish line on this and see what happens and see what the courts have to say. Now, obviously Warren, Warren has a little money. And I, I think that's really Larry, a large part of the issue for the lawsuit. I think that, um, ultimately look, uh, I, I've said to multiple people, and I continue to say it, um, my experience in life tells me lawsuits are about two things, right? They're about money and they're about hurt feelings. And at the end of the day, even these class action lawsuits, ultimately, they, they're not really about hurt feelings. They're about money. Um, the legal system gets nasty for people when they intertwine hurt feelings and money, which is why divorce cases are so difficult. Um, Warren and Buffett's real got more estate, money than and real Warren Buffett's got more money than pretty much anybody, right? So at yeah. the end of the day, he's not in an emotional reaction to the lawsuit. He's looking at the money. And uh, I I think we talked previously on our podcast, might have been a Saturday podcast rather than the weekday, um, with Patrick Loftus, the real estate attorney. And one of the things he mentioned is, in spite of the fact that you're probably right when you say there's a lot of flaws in the lawsuit and misrepresentations in the way this stuff actually works. Um, the problem is the horse has already left the barn to a large degree. NAR really screwed the pooch in terms of their hiring of attorneys and taking it seriously. And now they find themselves behind the eight ball, which is why I think these settlements are coming from other participants is largely because they recognize they're not likely to win on appeal. Now, Buffett may just be negotiating for a better deal. He may be, uh, you know, he may be like, look, you can sue me, but like you don't have enough money to play my game. And, and that could be a thing too. So I'm interested to see how it shakes out. But I think that ultimately he's going to be the exception, not the rule. I'm wonder. I think you're probably right. I'm wondering if these defendants have communicated with each other at all, right? You know, if if think. Warren gets on, you would think, right? Or their attorneys at least have thought. That's but obviously, fairly common. Yeah, in class action lawsuits, absolutely. And I, 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 at least I think so. I'm not an attorney, so I don't know. But I would think those attorneys would be communicating with one another. And um, it's just, it seems kind of ironic to me that all of these other brokerages are settling. He's not. And again, probably has a lot to do with the amount of money he has, but he's a smart guy. You know, if he didn't think that 
there's there's some daylight here. I doubt he'd, you know, I would think he would settle too, but maybe not. Who knows? You know, it's a real look. The reality is it could be any one of a bunch of reasons. Right. But but the scope of those reasons are fairly limited. And and on one level, they all fall under the umbrella of where's the best deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So we'll see yeah. how that all shakes out. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a while anyway. And frankly, I don't think it's going to change much at the end of the day. And, and I think that that's the thing, Larry. I know that I know that the lawsuit is a really uh, sticks in your craw. It's a hot button for you. And and I get well, that. Wait a second. Stop. Hang on a second. It's it's like number one in the news with real estate agents and brokers and lenders because it's going to change your life too. Well, if that if it really hit hard and if it really did what they would like it to do, which I don't think it will, because organically, I think sellers are still going to understand it's important to offer a co-op commission. Uh, or you're not going to get any showings. People aren't going to bring their clients by your house. It's that simple. That's the real world. Larry, I think ultimately the reality here is what we've talked about the whole time we've been discussing the lawsuit, which is there's no solution. There's no end solution that finishes with the real estate world basically saying um, buyers have to hire their own agents and pay cash. Yeah, like that's can't not, work. It won't work. It, it, it'll grow. It, it, it even even if they rolled that out to your point, it won't work in the long run. Meaning, after six months or a year of grinding to a complete halt, somebody will have to figure out a solution, right? And that is, it, 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 like we've talked about, it, it, do you lower the price of everything by three percent and then add three percent and finance it in to get back to the original price? so that you can pay people as buyer do you turn around like there's a half a dozen ways to, to effectively do it but right now yeah. it's just built yeah. into the cost of doing business and they're just arguing right now in the lawsuit about how it's split but at the end of the day i just don't i don't i i think in spite of the fact that it affects you every single day and every other real estate professional on a daily basis, and it has a potential to disrupt the lending industry. I think the consumers are oblivious to it and not that interested by it. I, you know what? I, I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I think most consumers are going to do what they do, uh, right. regardless of how this thing shakes out. Yes. And uh, it's just a matter of explaining it to consumers Correct. when you're talking to them at which I do all the time, you know, and I think most, I think most brokers do. I think most brokers tell their sellers, listen, you can pay whatever you want. As far as a co-op commission, I have never had a brokerage tell me what I have to charge as a, uh, you know, what, what needs to be right. charged as a brokerage fee, whether it's listing or buyers. Yeah. But have, have you showed up Larry in a, in a brokerage in any brokerage where they pre-printed the documents to 6% and you're like, I oh, know there's, I do know that I like, I do five. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So here, that's a really good point because I know there is one that does that or possibly did that. Right that may not be doing it now, but um, yeah, no, I've never worked for a brokerage that has a pre-filled in, we pay it, we charge 6% and you know, all that. And there's brokerages that charge marketing fees on top of the listing fee. And that's all, you know, everything in life is negotiable, right? So sure. it, if you're talking to a listing agent that charges a, you know, $600 marketing fee in addition to the listing fee, no one's putting a gun to your head to work with those people. Right. And exactly. if you think it's worth it on the other hand, and you really like that agent, and that's not, that's not something that really, you know, bothers you, then uh, by all means go for it. You know, I mean, honestly, we spend a lot more money than 600 bucks on marketing when we're, when we're selling for sure. homes. For sure. um, hey, one other thing before we get into the 203k thing, because I really want to talk about that. I'm very interested in that. I mean, there's literally a way, and we've, we've talked to many people on this podcast on Saturdays and Wednesdays 
where uh, they they've done it. They have invested and currently hold over $50 million in real estate as a result of using other people's money, purely other people's money to buy real estate and invest right. in real estate, pay back those investors, own the real estate, the rents pay those mortgages down. Now you own real estate. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Before we do, I'm excited to say, I know you're going to be excited about this too. Um, I am excited to say that we are actually uh, putting the horse farm on, you know, the, the, um, I'm, I'm so glad that you queued up the video for me on this. This is fantastic. Yeah. So check it out. The, these are, this is mom and dad. This is mom. And this is dad right there. And there's all the little ones. I'm going to take this off the screen now because I want to show you something else. Um, and uh, so this is a 151-acre horse farm, but uh, a working Appaloosa horse farm. But it's um, and it's in Princeton, Illinois, which is about an hour and you want to be exact about it, according to my GPS, an hour and 27 minutes outside of Naperville, and it's in Bureau County. And it's not only a working horse farm, but it's really a historic horse farm because in the 50s, it was, a, it was I forget the name of it. It's in my description on the listing, but it, right. was, a, it was a very famous uh, horse breeding farm. Um, now it's owned by two really wonderful people that have owned it. It's been in their family for years and they want to sell it and we are going to sell it. It's coming on the market for 1.3 million in about another two weeks, 151 acres, not only a horse farm, but also this is prime hunting, hunting territory too. I'm, I'm not a hunter myself, but, right. uh, I don't know if you are. And if people hunt, you're, that's you're great. only hunting the deals, buddy. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but this is, this is like an awesome property. There's a Creek that runs through it that you could flood like a seven acre field and stock it and have your own private little fishing sanctuary. So it has a ton of potential and I'm going to show you two of its other occupants here, uh, real quickly, because I know you want to see them. You show me uh, more horses. Well, I am actually, I'm going to show you more horses and there, there she is. That is, uh, I, I don't know what, what her name is, but Spot? she's, she's the baby. Okay. And that's, uh, that's mom and dad's little baby. And then here's another picture of, uh, of, uh, you know, a couple of the other horses. So excited to get this on the, uh, hang on one second, excited to get this on the market. And like I said, if you know anybody, where, where are you Dylan, gonna find the buyers, Larry? I, and, and the reason I say that is I, I know that one of the things when we talk about real estate, right, when you take listings, it's like, hey, I can help find you a buyer. Like I, I get that when you put a house on the market, traditional piece of real estate, right? single family home in Naperville is your easiest example. <clears throat> yeah. You put it in the MLS and you're like, Hey, bring your buyers for this thing. And there's lots of people who are in the market for that type of property. There are less people in the market, not to go out on a limb for this type of property. So where do you find the few that are interested? Well, you are not horsing around when you say that. I'm but sorry. I'm Thank you. Okay. So, uh, and that is why I don't have a stand-up career. Um, so, uh, that is a great question. One thing we're working on is getting a, uh, getting a, an article in Chicago Cranes business in the real estate section. Um, right. just kind of, a uh, how shall I say, uh, you know, just a featured article. But we also, on a property like this, you're going to market it directly right. to horse, horse, you know, horse people on different horse farm websites and websites where those people go to 
buy these types of properties. And you're going to talk to agents in that immediate area. I just talked to a broker two days ago in that area right. that uh, has a guy that's buying up farms like crazy. And I'm like, okay. well, this thing has like more potential than than I could talk to you about in an hour on the phone. And we should get them out there to take a look at it. So as with everything, it's all networking, man. It's all networking. And it's that. and it's hardcore marketing. You know, so you got to think out around. of the box. What's that? So you're not horsing around. I am not horsing around. And that's the last time we'll say that. But uh yeah, it's uh, you're right, though. It's it's more challenging because your pool of buyers is much, much smaller than if you're selling a four bedroom to an. Well, yeah, and they're just and, and they're just traveling in a different area. Right. Like that's a yeah. real thing. So, yeah. I get yeah. That. So right, but we're sense. excited. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And uh, I love going out there. It's an amazing uh, property just to drive around on. And there's a module home on it as well three bedroom, two bath, uh, that needs work, but could easily be rehabbed into a really, really nice property. And there's some hook, other hookups for, uh, you know, you could hook up, uh, trailers and, right. uh, do some other things there too. So lots of potential there. Cool. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Let's get in. Wait, before we get into the 203K, let me just remind everybody that we are streaming live on the Real Estate Radio Show podcast group on Facebook. And on Saturdays, we're on the Real Estate Radio Show podcast group live. We're also on 820 AM live. And we're also always on YouTube, LinkedIn. And today we're on Instagram as well. So, oh, uh, yeah, so we're everywhere and I apologize for that, but, uh, that's Dylan's fault. Nice. Um, all right. So, and you can also obviously follow us on Amazon and anywhere else you listen to all your podcasts. So Dylan, we want to get into this 203 K because really, um, the 203 K well, really Larry, I like. I know you use the term, you know, one of the things is you're using the term 203 K, but there are multiple renovation loans. Let's just use the term renovation loans to represent multiple opportunities. The 203 K is a specific FHA program right. and it's got its use, but I think that there are multiple options for folks to effectively buy-in finance a property that needs repairs. And that's really what we're talking about here. So renovation lending is um, more complex than your average loan on Absolutely. a couple of levels. But also, it's ultimately just the same. So I am working on one right now. Um, and like I said, joining this group at Neighborhood Loans, we have some real expertise on the team in this. Now, I've done renovation loans in the past and hadn't been excited to do them in some of the places that I've worked over the last few years. So uh, now we're excited to bring them. And back why is that? It, they're difficult to do. You have to be good at it from a lender standpoint. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to impugn anyone else's execution, but you have to have top flight execution on the renovation product. And, yeah. and the reason is that you know, people start making decisions, and you know, you have to be able to deliver on as with everything in lending, on time, on budget, with no surprises, right? Like yeah. that, that has to be a thing. So let's start with the basics. At the end of the day, you can buy a property and finance. I want to say almost any level of repairs. There are some guidelines, but let's not make it complicated for people now, right? Like, I mean, you can't buy a fifty thousand dollar property and finance in. $400,000 worth of repairs. It doesn't work like that. But basically, mm -hmm. if you buy, uh, we're working on a transaction now. The uh, property was listed for $150,000, sold in an under contract for $130,000. It needs $100,000 worth of work to bring it back up to speed. It needs both, it's a two unit, needs both kitchens remodeled, needs um, a, a, a kind of a, a update of the plumbing and the electric. Can you say and, where it's located? It's in the city. That's all I'll say okay. about that. That's fine. Um, and, and so it, at the end of the day, it needs $100,000 worth of work. So you're so, at 230. So you're at 230 plus. What's the, the ARV? 
the ARV on the property is theoretically three and a quarter. Um, we'll, we'll find out afterwards, right? Like you can tell me the ARV. You as an agent, let me be more specifically, whether it's you individually or, or somebody else in this particular transaction, can tell me that the ARV is 325. That has to be what it shows up on, on an appraisal. Um, so at the end of the day, that's a good deal for the consumer. It doesn't have to appraise for 325 to do the transaction. It really has to appraise for roughly, roughly um, the work plus the acquisition price plus about three to five percent. So in this situation, you're talking about 230 plus three to five percent or, you know, if, if call it four, you're about eight or ten grand. Right. So in theory, it should appraise for 240. If we're going to put three to five percent is the cost of the loan. No, three to five. It's just it, that's where the ARV needs to be. It needs to appraise. Right. So when they come in and do the work. You can't finance 100 percent. So you can't turn around and do 100 grand worth of work on a 130 property and appraise for 230. You got to appraise for more like 237, 240. No, I understand that, but you were saying so it has to, you know, we say it appraises for 325, but you want to add that three to five percent. What is that three to five percent? That that three to five percent is the equity gap that is necessary for from an underwriting standpoint for the loan okay. to be approved. Okay. Right. From a guideline standpoint. So you have the same guy by the same token that you can't buy a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house for no money down unless you're a veteran and you're applying under that program, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to make some sort of down payment. You have to have equity in the property. Same thing here. You can do all this work, but you can't have $230,000 invested in a $230,000 property. Of so course. it's nice that the ARV is three and a quarter as estimated by the real estate professional. That, that would be wonderful for the client. But if it comes back and it's 240, we're still fine in terms of the ability to finance the transaction. Interesting. So the thing is, if it comes back at 225 or 230. The investor's not gonna be happy about that, but. That's a separate issue. I can't, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. But remember, all renovation loans are designed for owner occupants for the most part. There, there's occasionally a, a, a reno for investors, but that's a difficult challenge. Um, and, and, and is a larger down payment and it'll get, it, I mean, it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But the thing is that this person can acquire it as a two unit to live in. And we've talked about house hacking on this show multiple times. And so you can then turn around and get this two unit owner occupied live in one. The beauty of this thing, let's talk about a couple of things relative to other ways we've talked about acquiring um, properties and financing them. Mm -hmm. You can acquire this as an owner-occupant, buy it. The closing on this is scheduled for early April, right? Mid-April. You can live there for a year. And by April of 2025, you can move on to the next property, convert it from being your primary residence where you've lived for a year into a two-unit rental. And even if you don't refinance, that rate's going to be mid sevens, right? And, and so you're going to have a mid sevens rate. You're going to finance in all the work and you're going to get owner occupied level financing and get your tenant in the second unit and then be able to move on if you choose to in a year. So the thing there, Larry, that I love about this product is less about that math, although that math's fantastic. It's more about the following. You can finance in this work at this affordable rate. I mean, seven and a half, given where rates are today, again, not comparing us to the rates of 2021, it's really cheap relative mm -hmm. to the other options, which are DSCR loans in the eights and nines and hard money loans. And a hard money lender may let you buy no money down on the ARV, right? And so they may come in and say, hey, you know, if it's going to be three and a quarter, we'll turn around and lend you 240, 230, and you can buy, acquire the place and do the work. But that's going to be at 12 or 13%, 5% on 200 grand, Annualized. Grand Absolutely. A year or $1,000 yeah. a month. 
And a DSCR loan is going to require a down payment of a minimum of 20%. So now you're mm -hmm. into 20% of 130, right? $26,000 plus closing costs. Then you have to finance the rehab separately, right? So the, is that a hard money loan? Is that investors that you, you need to pay money, by? Whatever. You're in, yeah. you're in put a return, uh, return to. So you have to aggregate the money for the repairs or mm -hmm. look, we have, we have some folks who re repair properties and they'll turn around, put it on their credit cards and gamble that they're going to make it on the back end. Well, you better be right about the ARV and yeah. your, your ROI gets really, really hammered when you pay 26% or 22% on a credit card balance, even yeah. if it's only a 90 day flip, right? I know people that have done that. I, I do too. And I'm not here to tell you <clears throat> that that's the wrong thing to do. No, the math, it just depends on the deal. Work, you can make the math work. But the thing is that this is a much, especially for the beginning investor slash owner. And what I mean by that is that person who said, I want to buy my first piece of real estate. And I imagine putting a bunch of doors under my belt over the course of the next few years. So I'm going to do an owner-occupied renovation deal, right? In this situation, it's two-unit. Owner-occupied renovation deal. Get a modern, modernized property in terms of mechanicals, plumbing, electric, et cetera. Updated right. appliances, and everything's kind of shiny and new. I'm going to live there light for a year, get the thing settled. And the worst thing is that I have it all tied up at 7%. Now, if you wake up, in a year, you like living there, you could, and rates go down, you could refinance and take cash out. Let's say the ARV is right at three and a quarter. Well, you can go to 75 or maybe even 80% of the ARV. That's a 240 loan. Like you could, so you could put another 10 ish grand in your pocket over the 225 or 30 it's going to take you to get the loan to acquire. Um, mm -hmm. Put a little cash in your pocket, move on. There's a lot of ways to do that. But you could just leave that financing in place too. Now it's in the mid sevens. And the cool thing is you don't need to transact twice, yeah. right? If you turn around and you buy a property with a hard money loan, you are guaranteeing yourself the expense of the hard money loan and committing yourself to refinancing with the new value at the end of that process. Mm -hmm. And that's a second transaction and a second set of transaction fees. And, and again, it's okay if the math works, but there are also some risks in there. And, and one of the risks, look, one of the risks that really bit everybody in the backside that led to the crash was the real estate and mortgage business telling people it's okay to get these loans. Now, those were mostly liar loans and option arms and things like that, but it's okay to do this because you can always refinance later. This is a version of that that I'm very uncomfortable with, right? Like it's just impossible to plan for what the math is going to be like in six months or a year. Six months mm -hmm. ago, we thought rates are in the eights and they might go to the nines. They went to six and a half. Now they're back to seven. And we were like, oh, they're going to go back to the fives. No, they're not. They're back at seven. And so the thing are is- Are we at seven now? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's yesterday's consumer price index. And we could talk about that a little yeah, more. Yeah, we'll get into that or a little on, bit. Or on Saturday. Yeah. Um, in a little more detail. But the yeah. thing is that gambling, the math working on your deal, on the idea that you're going to be able to find uh, secure different financing later is a problem. You have yeah. to make the math work regardless of financing. And then if you can get better financing, your math gets better. And I so think I that's. Know there's a thing that the renovation lending can solve. Okay. So we know there's a lot of different renovation products out there. The 203K, FHA 203K is one of right. them. So let's say an investor wants to use, because I've had many owner occupants purchase two and three and four flats from me in yeah. the city, much like the one you're working on sure. with the 203K loan. And lived in one of the units, put three and a half percent down, 
and is renting out the other two or three yeah. units. So it's a it's a common thing. It's an awesome thing to do. I would advise everybody that's looking to buy their first home to seriously consider looking into something like that because you're basically on your way to a real estate investment portfolio and somebody else paying for your mortgage. So right. it's it's really something you want to look at hard and long. Yeah. And I wish I would have when I was buying my first home because I might've moved into the city and bought a three flat and lived in one of the units. And uh, Larry, I know. bought a, I bought a three flat with my brother many moons ago. And uh, it was, uh, it, it was his Haven't first property. To it, was my, it was my second. Um, and it was the best investment we've made. Um, yeah. I mean, it was fantastic and really got us going on our real estate journey. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I mean, I'm it here, is. I'm here for it. it. It's an amazing uh, the, thing. The, the other thing, Larry, that, that I want to I want to segue a little. We talk about investors. Let's use the term investors with everybody understanding that we're not talking about. We're talking about investors as people who buy real estate to make money. But not necessarily on the lending term of investors, which is different than owner occupants. The, 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 the 203k loan very specifically, most of the Fannie Mae products are owner occupied lending products. So as you become a more seasoned investor, you do have to look at more expensive solutions in terms of yeah. financing rehabs. But but I want to be clear for the folks listening that we use the term investor to include owner occupants who are buying real estate for capital 100%. appreciation and, and market improvement yeah. um, rather than the lending term, which is strictly means people who are buying non-occupied properties. So, so here's where I was going with that real quickly, not to interrupt you, but real quickly no, no. where I was going with that is can an investor use the 203k product? A, an investor that does not intend on occupying the property. No, not at all. No. So no, that is an no. owner occupied. The 203K loan is an FHA loan. Good. All okay. FHA loans. I want to make that clear for everybody out there. Yes. You can't sure. you can't invest in a three flat in the city and get a 203K loan and put three and a half percent down if you don't plan on living in it. Correct. Okay, so now let's talk about. Oh, oh wait, were you going to get into something else? I, 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 we can get to that whenever. So go okay, where you so want to go with this. Let's talk about because you you brought up a good point. The two hundred three k, the FHA two hundred three k loan, that renovation loan is one type of renovation loan. There's a lot of renovation loans out there. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, uh, we have the vice president of growth for Curbio coming on on February 24th. And we're going to talk a lot about updating your home and what buyers are looking for now. And, you know, typically when you're doing like a 203, you're updating your home. I mean, obviously right, that's sure. why you're use, using that product. So I think that'll be kind of timely too, especially moving into the spring market, which personally I don't think is going to be as good as the summer market, but this all remains to be seen. And I am not Karnak the Great. I know I'm dating myself, right. but um, so what other, or does neighborhood loans offer any other type of renovation? Yeah, so, Fan, so Fannie Mae's got a product. Freddie Mac has a product. I mean, they all effectively work the same. That's more of a 5% down product. Um, and, you know, uh, these are for investors. No, you're going to have to put more. You're going to have to put more down as an investor. And I don't necessarily want to get into quoting investors. Right. So but you're talking 20, 25 percent down, depending on the number of units. Like it's it's fairly standard guidelines. Right. So okay. as investors, you're talking about way more money down. But again. So let's talk. This is going to segue to what I wanted to kind of cover, because mm -hmm. if you're whether you're an investor, but more importantly. If you're not a seasoned investor, and by that, I mean. If you've done one deal, if you've done two deals um, as a property buyer and they've both been owner occupied and you're house hacking from place to place every couple of three years, by the time you get to the third or fourth, you kind of get the feel of working for contractors. But at the end of the day, the cool thing about this loan product 
whether you use a uh, 203k loan or a conventional Fannie Freddie type solution mm-hmm. is as soon as the scope of your work is a more than about 30 grand and it doesn't take more much to spend 30 grand on a house right like let's not kid ourselves you have to hire a HUD consultant and the HUD consultant is a individual who is well versed in construction and understands how this works and so they work with your contractors to ensure that your scope of work is going to be cost effective right like you can say it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars um and then uh, what if it's 120 so they go in and they look at the bids they're like yeah this is the right lumber cost this is the right cost for pipe this is the right amount of sheetrock to do what you're going to do or roofing material or whatever it is they audit that that you're required to hire that person their cost can be as little as thousand bucks depending on the cost of the work maybe as much as two or three their job is to protect the lender from putting too much cash into the transaction in a way that's not cost effective and it's designed to protect the lender from ineffective at worst unscrupulous at, at, at i guess ineffective at best unscrupulous at worst contractors but it has the side effect of protecting you the consumer the lender's not doing it out of their kindness of their heart to help you get a well managed project right they want it, there's a lot of risk in these renovation loans for lenders and they want to make sure that they mitigate that risk and the hud consultant is a healthy part of that process because they are in essence a conduit between the agents the contractors the buyer and the lender and they kind of are the hub if you would think of a wheel with all the spokes kind of shooting off to all these right. other parties and everybody kind of has to run back to them and be like all right this math what about this what about these and and they vet the thing out it has the net effect of protecting the consumer which is one of the reasons that I really like this for the novice real estate buyer. And the reason, like I said, is the, uh, unlike the DSCR or hard money thing, where they're like, yeah, we'll give you the money. Good luck. And they give you a blank check and they're like, well, make the rehab work. Let's see how it goes. These guys, the contractors have to bid in advance. You know the scope of work. It's vetted. They have to do it for this much. Like everybody signed a contract in addition right. to the, You know, one of the things is in addition to the HUD consultant, the contractors have to go through and get approved. So you can't. You have to turn around and get contractors who understand that process. Right. And they go through and they go through an approval now process. They acknowledge how they get paid out. They have to have the financial resources to kind of do some of the materials. You know, most contractors like to work in thirds. Right. You give me a third. I'll buy the materials. I get everything rolling. By the time we get to this point. Right. We're under frame. We've finished out the we've roughed in the walls whatever whatever the 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 deadline is you like you give us another third then you pay us the rest at the end and it kind of works for contractors because they can buy the materials and pay their people and get the job done on two-thirds of the money and then their profits in the last third and they're like well you pay me at the end and that i i book that profit and i move on renovation loans basically work in two chunks you get half up front you got to make all that math work and then you get the second half at the end so there's some additional costs that the contractor has to bear in terms mm-hmm. of financing. And if you don't vet the contractors and use the HUD consultant to do so, they're like, well, we're going to need more money or we're walking off the job. You can't do that, right? Like yeah. you have to get contractors who are on board. Well, the thing I like about neighborhood loans, if I remember correctly, is they have a stable of 203K contractors that they work yes. with, correct? Yes. Exactly. That is so, as so a matter of fact, cute. Yeah. And, and contractors that have already been vetted and it's like, well, you don't have to use any particular one of these contractors. And frankly, you could use one of your own. But mm-hmm. having been in the renovation space for a while, Neighborhood Loans has built a platform that says we know this list of contractors will play ball with us as the lender, which is good for you as the buyer. Yeah protects you. And so you can pick anybody, but these people know what the deal is. And that helps a ton. 
Yeah. Yeah. These are, uh, these can be complicated deals. And uh, the main thing is, if you're doing this, you got to know the math. <laughs> you know, I mean, bottom well, line is, because you're not only a homeowner, owner, occupant, but as you stated just a little bit ago, you are an investor as well. So you sure. better have your numbers right. Well, not only be you better have your numbers right, but remember, some of this math still has to math. And what I mean by that is, like, you can buy a discounted property, right? Like, at the end of the day, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a $250,000 property or $750,000 property. Whatever your qualification is, you can qualify for. So if you're qualified for a maximum of a $250,000 property, Larry, um, and, and this goes back to kind of identifying the right deal. You can buy a brand new property or a ready-to-go property for $250,000 in the traditional sense, and that's your max qualification. Or you can buy for one thirty, put a hundred and work in like this one is, and and get a property that is again near your max value or your max ability to qualify, mm -hmm. um, and just rearrange the money. Now in this situation, this goes back to what you talked about, which is you're going to have a disappointed investor if you, you know, I would argue if you do a renovation loan, you better have a quality ARV on the back. Now what is that like? It's a little different on every deal, right? But if I invest six months of my life fixing up a property and dealing with contractors and all the headaches that go along with that. I don't want to come out and have the purchase price and the cost of the work be my value. Like I need mm -hmm. some extra juice to make it worth my while. Like where's the equity that I built in this property by going through that hassle? If there's no equity there, there's no point in doing it. Yeah. You no. just buy an existing house. Well, you're now, not going to do it if there's no equity. There. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and then the other thing is, look, I think that one of the things renovation loans do, and let's not talk, let's talk less about people long run investing in multi-units, right? Let's segue and talk about one of the things that we've talked about for months since we started broadcasting, whether it's been the podcast or the radio show. How often do we talk about inventory problems? at least once a week between both shows, right? This avails properties that are otherwise not considered by a home buyer, single family home, right? Like you got a few beat up properties in Naperville and they're $400,000 houses when they're fixed up, but they're beat to hell. And they're like $250,000 properties. And even if the bones are good, they need a fresh coat of paint. They need new kitchen cabinets or at least reskinning, right? Uh, they need an update to the bathroom and they need, well, if you can get in and do 75 grand worth of work and buy it for 250 or 260 or 270 and get in at 350 or 360 and it's worth 400 immediately. Well, now you built 40 grand in equity and you solved an inventory problem. And I think that there's a place for this loan in solving some inventory issues for the right buyer. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't want to be in a situation where we had a first time buyer who was a married couple who's married for a couple of years and she's pregnant. The first baby's due in four months. Like that's probably not the time in life to take on a renovation project. Yeah, probably but, not. But if you had somebody who just got married and nobody will take their money because they're three percent down FHA to buy a property for example, a starter house in Naperville. And by starter house, I mean, obviously that's a different market than some others. That's a $400,000 property, right? Entry level for the most part. Typically. And so you, you end up in a situation where you're like, well, look, you can buy the worst house on the block that was built in 1968. And the folks who lived in it bought it in their twenties. And the husband passed in 2014 and the mom just went to the nursing home and they're trying to get rid of the property. You're not getting 400 for that house. That house has still has, you know, all, all the cliches, all carpet everywhere, avocado appliances. Like it's clean, but it's dated. It's got 110 amp service, right? Like that whole thing. Yeah. You can go in and fix all that place. You can get it for 300, put 50 into it. And now you get to live in the neighborhood you want. And so that has value even if you don't have this massive upside in terms of equity, I want a little upside, but if I get to live in the area I want to live and make inventory available, that was otherwise unacceptable. And live in a nice house that you just 
renovated. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. So, and, and look, but, man, I live in a house. I've lived in new construction houses. I live in a house that was rehabbed and um, it's more affordable. Uh, we got it at a lower price point. We got a lower tax bill and some other stuff because it wasn't new construction. So it worked out yeah. great. Yeah. You know, and there's ways if you're an investor, there are ways to finance these investments. Obviously, you can't use a 203K loan. Uh, because that is specifically for owner occupants, just like when I used to put REOs on the market that Fannie Mae was giving me. And I would, you know, I would basically handle those properties from cradle to grave while they were going through the foreclosure process and right. when they finally came on the market. But when they finally come on the market, which could be I had properties in my inventory for three years before they actually hit the market. But when they finally come on the market, Fannie Mae has an owner occupant time period where they will only sell that home to owner right. occupants for the first, I believe it's 30 days now. My, our friend. I, yeah. John I remember Martin, that rule. I don't know where that rule is currently, but that rule makes a lot of sense. And it's still in place, 100% in place. They will not sell a home to an investor for, I know, at least the first 30 days unless they've increased that. But I'm pretty sure it's 30 days still. Um, so, But there are ways for investors to purchase properties with a combination of either their own money and hard money or a private lender at 12 to 15% annualized and use other people's money, even yes. in many cases, without any of your own money at all. And we talked to Sam Prim about that a few weeks back, and, and he's sitting on $50 million in, in real estate that he's never put a dime of his own money into. Larry, one of the things I like about renovation, look, we talk a lot about no money down and other people's money. In the real world, you're going to even on a no on a no money down deal, a DSCR, uh, not a DSCR, but a hard money deal, like to acquire an investment property, you're still going to have investment transaction costs, right? You're gonna it's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay two or three percent up front in terms of origination fees, or you know, just a, a admin fee. There, you know, the, the the closing costs on that type alone are going to run you every bit of two percent to 3% more sure. than it would a traditional loan, which costs two or 3% by itself anyway, right? So if you come in and you say, look, I really want to do this, no money down, it's still going to cost you 3%. So if, oh, you're yeah. a, if, so if you're a property buyer and you can come up with an owner-occupant situation for a two-unit and come in 3.5% down, it's not that much more money and you get the lower rate and the protection of the consultant and the vetting of the contractors. And it's almost like doing your first deal on training wheels with renovation. Like, let's do one, maybe two over the course of the next two, three, five years, where all these people in the transaction are getting paid a nominal fee to make sure I don't screw up. Now, they're really getting paid to protect the lender. But that has the effect of making sure that you don't screw up as the as the Absolutely. property buyer, and then you're like, okay, I've done this a couple of times. Now I can turn around and I can just hire these people and do yeah. the third deal or the fourth deal that way as you add yeah. yours. So um, we'll revisit this again on Saturday because I think it's a good topic to you know, if not get as deep into as we have today to just touch on. But, you know, as always, this hour flies by. So I want to uh, real quickly just, and we'll, and we'll touch base on this a little bit on Saturday as well, when we're live at 8.20 a.m. between 9 and 10 a.m. this Saturday. Of course, we'll still be streaming at the Real Estate Radio Show podcast on Facebook and on YouTube and all these other places. But um, I'm curious, uh, the CPI, the consumer price index. Yeah. Let's talk out. about it. Yeah. Get, let's, I'm going to let you jump right into it because that affects rates. And it's one of the reasons why me, well, 
we've been discussing for weeks now, we don't think rates are, you know, the Fed's going to lower rates anytime soon because the dynamics of the market and the economics just don't point to that. But let's get into CPI and how does that affect rates? So we've talked before, Larry, uh, about the idea that rates ultimately are a function of inflation expectations, right? And the, the Fed has the control of the shortest rate in the market and the 30-year bond and mortgage is the longest rate in the market. Now, with that mm -hmm. said, it's like a teeter-totter. And so they right. push or pull on their end of rates to try to affect the other end. And so ultimately, the Fed has been raising rates and in the mid-2023 was seen as aggressively raising rates and they've been on hold for a while now with the idea that we've raised rates so much, we'll get inflation under control. Yesterday's consumer price index was on the heels of the jobs report, which showed 350,000 jobs created in January. Yeah, and we talked is, about that. A number that yeah. is still a little suspect, but yeah. nonetheless, that's the print, right? <laughs> and so with the hot jobs report, more jobs, more workers, more income, more demand for goods and services. And... And the inflation number was expected to be sub 3% for the first time in two or three years. All the projections looked at it, and then the number printed, and it was 3.1. And you'd be like, well, if it was supposed to be 2.9, it's 3.1. Is that that much of a difference? Yes. Yes, it is. Because if you extrapolate it out over a year, it's 2.4%. That could be the difference between 3% inflation and 5.4% inflation. That's dramatic. And so the market was like, whoa, immediately rates went up a quarter point. They announced the number at 7.30. Bonds were in the toilet by 7.31. And so we are now in a situation where all the things I've read in the last 24 hours are basically saying from Fed watchers, from people at the Fed themselves, today's Fed speakers, there is no way that there's any chance the Fed cuts rates in March. They're probably not cutting at their May meeting and this, they're probably not even cutting at the June meeting. And so it pushes off the point where the Fed can be like, yeah, we kind of got inflation under control, at least into that frame. Markets were preemptively moving interest rates down from eight to six and a half, as we saw. But as the, la as the last month has shaken out, every economic number has said, hmm. Not so fast. We're still a little overheated on inflation. Exactly. And this, and this CPI number is driven by housing away from home, which is hotels, Airbnbs, et cetera, et cetera. The biggest number. But also gas prices still higher after a large dip for a while, but still increasing again. And um, other food expenses. And, and so inflation is proving to be much harder to corral than the Fed estimated. And so we probably have to have at least these same rates, if not higher, for longer, which the Fed kind of said a year ago. So the, yeah. the market got ahead, I think, of, of the Fed in believing yeah, they're going to be cutting sooner than they think. Maybe not. Maybe the Fed was right a year ago when they said higher for longer. Well, for first you know, I think, you know, just keeping things in perspective, and I agree with you, the difference between 3.1 and 2.9 or 2.8 is big and um, over time. And, uh, but I do also want to add that one of the things that is causing inflation to stay at that sticky three plus number Right. is the cost of housing. Housing is like probably the number one reason why inflation isn't coming down more. Because, right. um, you know, we've had some food staples come down, but they're like we mentioned, they're still, you know, higher than we used to pay. Oh, well, right? for sure. And not, not only that, Larry, they're not coming back down. Like, look, you know, you they're used not coming, to go, yeah, true. Right. I mean, before... They're not going you, up. You, you, look, if you were going to like a Chili's or an Applebee's or, you know, that that restaurant type level, right? Not a McDonald's, but not a big fancy place either. Um, you were getting like a 1095 hamburger before the pandemic. And now it's a $16 hamburger. And yeah. 
if inflation continues, it'll be an $18 hamburger. If inflation moderates, it's still going to be a $16 hamburger. It ain't going back to $10.95. And so these things are challenging because the inflation gets embedded into the economy. And so then you have the challenge of where do we go from there? And so it's super important for the Fed to win the inflation fight. You heard me say this a year ago. I'm going to remind you of it now. Mr. Powell is going, actually, let me say it this way. The Fed is going to get inflation under control. Mr. Powell will do it or he will be fired. And the only interview question for the next Fed chairman, whether Biden, Trump, or some other person is the president hiring him after the election. Like, I, this is not a political statement. I get the it. question in the interview will be, are you willing to hike interest rates high enough to get inflation under control? If yes, you're hired. If you have some academic answer that's like, well, we have factors and we have this and we have that. That's how Paul Volcker did it 40 years ago. He was like, I don't care that I'm the bad guy. I don't care about unemployment. I don't care how harsh it is. If we have to have 18% interest rates, we will do that till it comes under control. And that's what they did. So either mm -hmm. Powell will do it. And, and look, he's a student of history. I believe he will do it. Either Powell will do it or his successor will, period. Because yeah. our economy cannot survive massive inflation. It cannot. You know how they say, you know, nothing gets done until the 11th hour in a negotiation, right? Yeah, well, it's sure. the same thing with inflation. We've come from almost 9% or around 9% down to 3.1%. And it's that sticky, that, that 3.1 to 2, that's even more difficult to get down to because you get a Absolutely. lot. Yeah. It it's like that. And, you know, you, you, you would see them fight fires all the time on TV. Right. And they're like, oh, this building's been on fire. And then, you know, it's a massive fire and we put it out. And then two hours later, we had to come back and get the hot spots. We're at the hot spot portion of inflation. Right. Like it just flares up and you're like, OK, well, we still got to throw some water on that part and see what happens. And then. Yeah. And, and that's that's the best analogy I can think of for that. I think that's what we're dealing with right now. You know, I mean, I, I, really, I, I mean, this but is until it's 100 percent out. We can't move on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think we will move on. I think we will get there. And uh, it's just a matter of time. And this is where you're putting that hard work in if you're the feds, because you absolutely. got us down to 3.1. But now it's uh, now we got to get down to two to really do our thing. Well, I think on one level, Larry, we've already done the easy part. Like we've done the easy oh, gee, inflation the heavy control. Let's turn around and and ring out the, the cannons and boom. Yeah. Now it's much more subtle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so maybe the cannon doesn't work. All right, Dylan. We'll awesome talking to you. We will see you on Saturday at nine o'clock in the studio. Remember, everybody, we are live on 820 a.m. on Saturday out of Chicago, and uh, we'll still be streaming here at the Real Estate Radio Show podcast group and on everywhere else, too. So, Dylan, we'll talk to you on Thanks, Saturday. Larry. Good to see you. I will see you on Saturday, my friend. I'm sure we'll talk okay. before then. Yeah, okay. I'll talk to you. All right, you got it. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. All right, everybody. So, uh, thanks for joining us today on the Real Estate Radio Show podcast. We had some great conversations, some great content with Dylan on the 203K loan, how that works. It is not an, an investor product, but it is a house hack product. If you'd like to buy a three flat, live in one of the units, you can definitely use this 203, uh, FHA 203K product among others. Um, but it's not for investors if you're thinking about using this product and not living in one of the units. Um, I want to remind everybody that if you would like to find out more about 
you know, a lot of different things in real estate. I wrote a book called The Top Tens of Real Estate, and it's 32 top 10 real estate lists that will absolutely max out your profit when you buy, sell, or invest. It covers everything from financing to staging to how investors look at properties to size up if they're good deals. And if you'd like to get that book for free, you can simply text the word book to me at 630-921-0611. Just text book to 630-921-0611 and I will get you out a copy of that free ebook. And until then, I just want to wish everybody a great week and uh, stay safe and love you guys. Oh, by the way, course i love you guys it's valentine's day right happy valentine's day you guys uh go celebrate and we will talk to you next week thanks for joining us on real estate radio with your host larry shackman the real estate therapist and top producing broker now go to trustedagentusa.com and save thousands when you sell buy or invest illinois license number 475-145-795 tune in next week for the ultimate real estate radio experience